Oh, good morning, church. It's been a while since I come back to uh, Bishan because I'm always uh, at Adam for whatever since COVID started, I think. Yep. Well, uh, today's sermon is on parenting, and you might find it helpful, next slide, uh, to download an uh, outline if you prefer. So you can just use the QR code there and get an outline that will help you uh, through the structure of the sermon today. I'll give you some time for that. If you find that helpful, you can uh, follow uh, with the outline, but better still is to have your Bibles open. We're going to spend some time in Deuteronomy 6 as well as Ephesians 6. So 16 years ago, when I learned that my wife, Nisin, was uh, pregnant with our first child, uh, I was overjoyed. As foolish as we were, we went to a GP and told him of this positive pregnancy test and asked the, the GP what that means and then do I need to do more tests? Uh, the GP just replied, congratulations. And then he told us to start thinking about seeing a gynecology uh, at some point after that. However, that very, the joy that I had quickly became fear and anxiety. Will we be good parents? How will we parent? Or how should we parent? What methods should we use? We started reading all sorts of books about parenting and talking to different people who were ahead of us in this journey. 16 years later and with two children now, I'm still learning, relearning, rejoicing at times, repenting at other times. Now that is to say that I'm not an expert in parenting. However, we have God's Word with us to guide us in our parenting. And that is where we will turn to today to know how Christian parents should parent their children. How Christian parents should parent their children. Now, for some of us here as parents, this topic will apply to us directly. However, it's not just for parents, but for all of us as well. Because all of us here are children to our parents. In hearing his word on parenting, it is in hope that we as children, young and old, will appreciate the imperfect efforts of our parents and to honour them in response. And for those who are yet to have children, this may hopefully prepare you for it. And for those who don't have children, you can be spiritual parents of our young ones in church or be an encouragement to your friends who are parents. So how should Christian parents parent their children? Well, firstly, we must have the right goal of parenting. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 tells us that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You know, in the history and experience of Israel, they learned that only God alone is worthy to be loved and worshipped. See, God is their creator. God is their saviour. 
See, despite all their failures and their stubbornness, God has forgiven them and delivered them time and time again. And then at their second chance of entering the promised land, Moses reminded the Israelites what is demanded of them. They are to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and might. Now this goal, or should I say commandment, did not change in the New Testament. Jesus reiterates that as well. We are still to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. Now what does that mean? Well, the heart, in biblical terms, is more than just the emotions. That's how we understand it today, right? But in biblical terms, it is the center of one's will and one's mind. And the soul is another way of saying that it is the entire person, right? And it's not just one part. It's not just your mind, not just this time or that time. It's the whole entire person. Now, strength refers to all of one's resources, physical resources, economic resources, social resources. In short, to love your God with all your heart, soul, and might means to be wholly committed in undivided devotion and worship to God. This is the rightful response to God. Respond to His love and respond to His saving grace for us. As such, this is not merely just a parenting goal. It is, in fact, the goal of our lives. But we have a problem, right? The problem is our heart. See, we have a sinful heart of stone that is foolish and darkened. On our own, we will reject and not acknowledge God as God. Surely we will not be able to love God with all our hearts if our heart is stubborn, foolish, turning away from Him. So my friends, then this, is, this should be the goal of our parenting. We have to help our children address the heart problem in order to love God wholeheartedly with undivided devotion. However, we often make mistakes in uh, getting the right goals of parenting. Now we make such mistakes because of our own expectations, our own hopes, and even sin. See, firstly, most if not all parents, you know, hope that their children will be successful. Anyone here doesn't want that? No, right? Particularly in Singapore, parents hope that their children will do well in school, get good grades, so that they will land up in a good-paying and prestigious job, perhaps get a good spouse, have good families, and live, comf- uh, live comfortably without any kind of worries and concerns. Hence, we spend significant part of our time, our money, and our energy helping our children be competent in their academics and even strategic in their CCAs. See, on one hand, it is understandable and normal for us, myself included, to wish that our children go through life comfortably. Nobody wishes the lives of their children to be difficult. Yet a comfortable and successful life for our children is not a biblical goal for our parenting. It is not. You see, in the book of Proverbs, and especially in chapters 1 to 9, we read about wisdom that was meant 
from a father to a son. And in there we see sayings such as chapter 6, verse 10 to 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And in chapter 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. See, when we read passages like that, we see that the emphasis is on diligence rather than a successful and comfortable life. Now, that might come as a result of our diligence, but it is not the goal. See, likewise, in the New Testament, Paul told the Colossian Christians in chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, the aim is to please God in our work and see work as service or worship to Him. Even the promised reward is not in the present world, but in the world to come. See, therefore, if the Bible emphasized on diligence rather than success, rewards in Jesus' future coming rather than rewards in the present life, why do we often parent with a goal of worldly success and comfort? Well, parenting for a successful life for our children may betray our fear and anxiety that we, they will not have enough, right? And they will suffer as a result. In other words, we want to future-proof their lives. However, that lack of faith, that, however, that itself is a lack of faith in God who promised that He will provide for all our needs, if not for all our wants. And perhaps for others, you may be rather successful in the eyes of the world. You did well in school. You, you, you have a highly sought-after job and living more than sufficiently. You cannot bear to have your children not doing well like you, especially when you have the means. Your unspoken goal of children being successful can be a result of your expectations or should I say your pride. So we must be careful. When we parent our children in their studies and work, are we making diligence as part of their worship of God or a means to get a smooth and successful life? I know it's a fine line, but all the more we must be careful because it's a fine line. Otherwise, we might cross the line and fall into some kind of prosperity gospel. Or more accurately, an idolatry of wealth and comfort. And as a result, we fail to keep our children, we fail to help our children love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. We might make them love the world instead. And we saw in Deuteronomy just now, as we read the passage, that that kind of wealth that we all enjoy may in fact be a snare that they will forget. God because life becomes too comfortable. That is the wrong goal of parenting. But secondly, we may make the mistakes of having an unspoken and subtle goal for our children to be obedient. 
See, we hope that they will display the right behavior in, in private and especially in public. We want them not to throw a tantrum or, or create trouble. We want them to be the type, you know, that will always greet others, put on a smile, polite in their speech, you know, and win praises from everyone. Oh, you got such a good kid. Now, I still remember the time when, uh, you know, I completed my licensing process to be called as an ordained minister. Then I had to go to a meeting, uh, the, ex the Synod Exco meeting, and I have to take a pledge before them. And uh, during the meeting, there will be a lot of senior pastors there, a lot of elders from different churches. And my family was invited to come along to witness the pledge taking. And during the ceremonies of sorts, my two kids had somehow thought that the meeting room has become their playground. They ran amok inside there, chasing one another, laughing and talking loudly when the proceedings were still going on. Both Mason and I even had a hard time subduing them to come and take a photo with everyone. Now we got really upset and, uh, and our kids, respectively, got a good roasting after that. See, when I reflected up about it, I asked myself, why, why was I so upset? See, that behavior was truly unacceptable. But was, was it unacceptable because I was embarrassed? Was it unacceptable because it failed the standards of all those who were present? You see, my friends, if the goal of our parenting is the good behavior of our children, then our emphasis will be on what they should do and what they should not do at different occasions and before different people. The parenting method we will use will tend to be reward and punishment for their outward performance, so to speak. And very soon, they will learn to condition themselves in order to win your approval and win the approval of others in order to get their reward and to avoid punishment. Now, what might be the outcome of that? Well, you may actually achieve your goal of making your child a well-mannered and well-behaved person, especially in public. However, if the problem of the heart is not addressed, they will be like the Pharisees. They will no doubt work on their outward obedience because they will get approved by everyone. However, they will develop a sense of self-righteousness that will make them think that they are alright with God, alright with others, and perhaps even look down on others who are not that obedient. Now that is the problem of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They did everything right. But in reality, their hearts are not right with God. But Jesus rebuked them in Mark chapter 7. And Jesus said this in verses 21 to 23. For from within, out of the heart of men come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Or as Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, that they are people having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. See, outwardly, they may be deemed as well-behaved 
and even moral. However, God is not going to be pleased with such outward obedience. Their heart remains evil and sinful, and one day it will show its true colors. Likewise, our children misbehave and disobey because they, like us, are all descendants of Adam. They sin because they are sinners. The focus on controlling and shaping behavior won't change anything in reality. It will not change their hearts. So my friends, we need to address their hearts. Their wrong behavior becomes the occasion for us to point to their need for redemption. Our children need to see that their behavior is the result of their evil hearts. And then they need to see the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who paid for their sins and can change their hearts. If they will believe and trust in Jesus, their hearts will be changed and the right behavior will flow out from this new and transformed heart. So the goal must not be on the behavior but on the heart instead. The behavior is merely the product of the heart. But how do we do that? How do we parent? How do we parent them to have a change of heart to love God with all their heart, soul, and might? Now we all hope that uh, we have a manual, right? With steps 1 to 10 that will guarantee results. Better than 10 years series, right? As you all prepare for an exam, just read, 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 do, 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 and then you will be able to achieve the result. That's what we all hope for. Unfortunately, there is no such manual. However, God gives us two fundamental methods for our parenting. Firstly, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, it tells us to teach. We are to talk to our children. And similarly, in, chapter, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers are to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The second word instruction means verbal education. And what are parents to teach or instruct their children? In a nutshell, parents are to teach and instruct God's word to them. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, parents are to teach God's laws and statutes to their children. But more than laws and statutes, the verses 20 to 25 tells us that the parents are to teach them why they have to obey these laws and statutes. And allow me to read those verses for you in Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 to 26, uh, to 25. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God 
as he has commanded us. See, my friends, in teaching children God's law, parents are to explain the reason for obedience. They are to obey because it is the right response to God's saving grace towards them. They were once slaves in Egypt, but God saved them out of Egypt through the plagues and the drowning of the Egyptian army. So they are now to respond by fearing God. It is another way to say they are to worship God, to revere Him and to submit to Him. And this obedience as a response is for the good of His people. They will learn to live in righteousness and live long in the land that God is leading them to. My friend, that is the gospel in the Old Testament. God saved His people undeservedly by His grace to live a life that is righteous. Likewise, in Ephesians, parents are to bring them up in the instructions of the Lord. These instructions of the Lord will include how they are saved and what it means to be saved. See, Ephesians 2, chapter 4 to 10 says this, But God being rich in His mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this, not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A greater salvation, my friends, is achieved for us now compared to the Israelites. We are saved from the power and the tyranny and the penalty of sin because of Jesus' death and resurrection. But we are also saved to do good works, which is to live a godly life as spelled out in the rest of Ephesians. It is a life that imitates Christ and is worthy of the calling in which we are called. So our role as a parent is to teach and instruct our children God's word. We have to tell them the gospel, how God saved us from a life of sin to live a life of godliness till he comes again to restore and renew all things. So my friends, it's perhaps a good time, good time to reflect on whether this is our priority in our parenting. See, some of us, especially the fathers, might think that our primary role is to provide for the family, protect them, and fix things at home. That is not wrong. However, fathers have the primary role and privilege of teaching and instructing our children. It is not a coincidence that the commands of God were firstly given to Adam and not Eve. Neither is it a coincidence that sin entered the world when Adam failed to instruct. That is not to say that mothers have no role either in teaching and, and uh, instructing God's word to the children. See, the command in Deuteronomy 6 is given to all parents. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we know that 
Timothy came to faith because of his mother and grandmother who passed down the faith to him. But nonetheless, the emphasis on the fathers here is not a coincidence. They are given the priority and privilege of this role. And some of you might ask, right? How do I teach? How do I teach my children? I didn't go to a Bible college like you, Pastor. Well, thankfully, teaching God's Word is not limited to pastors in the New Testament or the priests in the Old Testament. Yes, the priests and the pastors are given the role to teach God's people in general. But the primary role of teaching children is given to parents. Yet not many parents are priests and pastors. So what does that mean? It means that every one of us is capable of understanding God's Word and teaching it. And that is all the more so for us as Christians because we have the Holy Spirit in us to illumine us as we read His Word. See, the crux of the matter is not whether, no, the crux of the matter is whether we ourselves are reading God's Word. Because if we are not, it will really be difficult for us to teach and instruct that to our children. You see, many of us will spend time and effort to increase the knowledge and the skill in our work. Right? We read books and we attend courses. We may also equip ourselves to be better in math and science in order to help our children in their academics. But how much more should we then immerse in God's Word to know it for ourselves and then to teach it to our children? For that has far greater and long-lasting benefits than our work and studies. Wouldn't it be more worthwhile than to read more of God's Word, more Christian books and watch online videos to learn about God and His Word so that we can teach and instruct our children. See, my friends, this role that's given to us by God cannot be outsourced. The church, the pastors, and the children's church leaders, the youth leaders come alongside to supplement and complement that role. But we can never replace the parents because parents are the ones who see and interact with their children daily but they only come to church once or at most twice in a week. So reading God's Word is a must. Start doing that today if you have not done so or you have been neglecting it. So now we know. We know the whys. We know the how of parenting by teaching God's Word. But you may ask, when do we teach God's Word? What time? What occasion? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 to 9 has the answer to that. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and it shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So when do parents teach God's word? Answer is, all the time, personally, privately, and publicly. Teaching God's Word to our children as a fixed routine in terms of devotion and family, family worship is, is very helpful, right? 
it jumps in into our minds and perhaps in ours as well that reading God's Word is a non-negotiable daily affair. Now we can use some guidebooks to help us and other times we are more confident in handling God's Word. We can have a systematic schedule to just read the whole Bible. And we can even mix it up, right? We're watching a short video on a Bible passage, perhaps even as you read, act out the passage or simply sharing what they have learned in children's church, basic, and services. But as much as such fixed time of teaching is important, I would say that it is more than that. See, very, very often the, the most memorable and teaching and the important teaching moments occur in their daily conversations with you. Right, some of the best teaching moments to my own kids is when they share about the struggles they face in school or, or church, the struggles that can be related to friendships, you know, bullies, difficult classmates, their academics, their teachers, their CCAs, stress, identity, you name it. There is an existential and personal problem that they are grappling with and that is when God's word speaks the loudest. In those times, we must be there for them. We must grab those opportunities to impart God's word and wisdom in their lives. More often than not, such opportunities do not happen in our structured devotional time. These opportunities happen often before their bedtime when they feel like sharing. Right? It may be during their travel time with you on the bus or, or in the car. And for us, or for me as, my, as our family, we, it may be during our family walks. Now when we realize that trend, we try to schedule family walk to create those opportunities of sharing. So the bottom line is that you need to develop a relationship and spend uninterrupted time of interaction with your children. See, they are less likely to come to you out of the blue to share their issues with you. They share with you when they are comfortable, when, they are, when it's natural. So that is why Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 is so right in saying that we are to teach and talk to our children when we sit in the house, when we walk, and when we lie down, and when we rise. It's in our daily lives that all these conversations come out. Now, the same verse also suggests that teaching does not happen only by words. It's also taught by our lives. See, our actions speak louder than words. See, when we conduct ourselves in our daily lives, how, how we conduct ourselves in daily lives gives authenticity to what we teach. And likewise, in Ephesians, the command to teach and instruct our children falls in the whole section of how we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. As those who are saved by grace, we are no longer to walk in sin as the Gentiles do, but be imitators of Christ. So what does that mean? It means that for us as parents, we must watch over our own hearts as we work on the hearts of our children. Parenting for the right heart requires us to be parents of the right heart. Parenting for the right heart requires us to be parents 
of the right heart. This right heart will be reflected in our godliness, in our pursuits, in our concerns, in our service to the Lord, and in our prayers. Our worship and trust in God are shown in how we deal with our own disappointments and difficulties. Let me share a quote with you, and I thought it was really good. You can teach what you know, but you will reproduce what you are. You can teach them what you know, but you will reproduce what you are. See, if we have a change and right heart to love and worship God, it will flow out into right and godly living. And our children will witness how good it is to live this way under God and to be encouraged to live likewise. We reproduce what we are. So how do we parent our children? The first way is to teach and instruct them with God's word and with a life that is consistent with it. Secondly, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 tells us that we are to discipline them. Now, the word discipline is often taken negatively and merely associated with punishment. However, the meaning of the word discipline, which is padia in Greek, means training and correction. In other words, discipline has two parts, the formative part and the corrective part. Now, the best illustration for the formative part is, is often in sports. To get better in any sport will require training to sharpen the skills, build stamina, improve muscle memory. Now, I used to train in school as a basketball player. The, the, the coach would make us do interval training, you know, weights training, do basic drills of dribbling, shooting, and passing. Then we will also run different plays till it becomes second nature to us. But at times, we make mistakes, and that is when the corrective training comes in. We will be punished by doing push-ups or we run laps. But the best correction comes when we are told where we went wrong. We either went the wrong direction, failed to block out, or communicate with other members of the team. With the explanation, the punishment will then make us remember and not repeat those mistakes again. That is good discipline. See, likewise, disciplining our children have both formative and corrective parts. Formative disciple is not, discipleship is not, or discipline is not very different from teaching God's Word. We train them by infusing God's Word into them. See, when issues and problems arise in their life, we train them by teaching them to persevere, to look to Jesus, to trust in Him, and not to repay evil with evil, but to hang on to the living hope we have in Jesus. When we train them this way, they will grow up to respond in the same way when they face struggles in their work and in their relationships in the future. But as all parents will know, there will be times of corrective discipline. As I said earlier regarding goals of parenting, we are not correcting wrong behaviours, so to speak. We are not trying to correct their behaviour so that they will be obedient outwardly. This will only lead to legalism and self-righteousness. 
biblical instructions must come with it. We must deal with the heart. Now, if you find it helpful, you can use what I call a double year as an acronym. And we see that on the slides. See, in corrective discipline, we have to examine the situation, address the sin in the hearts, rebuild them gently, explain the punishment, apply the punishment calmly, restore and reconcile. Now we have to firstly examine the situation and seek to understand what is going on. It may well be good that the acronym is YEAR, which tells us to listen to our children. Then we must help them to realize that their wrong behavior is a result of their sinful heart. So for example, we may need to point them to James 4, that they fight and quarrel because they do not get what they want. They covet and hence they acted wrongly to get what they want. We then have to rebuild them gently for their sin. See, if punishment is warranted, then we have to explain clearly and why it is appropriate. And very importantly, you are to apply the punishment calmly. Do not do it when you are still angry. Otherwise, it might go out of hand. We may land up provoking our children to anger and discouragement with our excessive and unjust punishment. And at the end of everything, we must restore and reconcile with our children. That wrong is not going to break our relationship and that reflects God's relationship with His people. These steps may differ a bit as your children grow in age, but the principles still apply. Now, most importantly, our children must know that our discipline at the end of the day is out of love and is for their good. Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines His children or His people for their good and eternal fruit of righteousness. So in following God, we as earthly fathers and mothers and parents should do that as well. How do we parent our children? The first way is to teach and instruct them with God's word and with a life that is consistent with it. Secondly, we are to discipline them, not in a harsh manner, but out of love for them. But let me end this sermon with two thoughts for us. Firstly, there is no magical formula to change our children's heart to love and worship God. No manuals, no magical formula. We might have, you know, we might have done all that I said earlier. We parent the right goals, we parent the right way, we have, we have taught them God's word, you know, prayed diligently for them, model godliness in every way, and yet their hearts are not changed and they decide to turn away from the Lord. I just want to encourage you, if that is you, that that is not your fault. See, every person must make their decision to follow Jesus, especially when they come of age. As the saying goes, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Our children do not simply become Christians by birth or by what we do. Yes, we will grieve, my friends, when they choose to depart from the Lord. 
It pains us to see them drifting away and may even be living a life of debauchery and godliness. But we must be like the father portrayed in the parable of the prodigal son. We wait patiently, hoping that they might see the fruitlessness of living such a life that is apart from God. And we must keep praying for them that God in his mercy will turn their hearts of stone to a heart of flesh so that they will repent and respond to him rightly. And be encouraged. God is not done with our children yet. But secondly, let us not be discouraged by our failures in our parenting. Perhaps you might have felt that we have failed after hearing this sermon or after you read some Christian parenting books. And we are seeing some of the damage that is already done in our children because of our parenting. But let us remember that God is sovereign over our sins and mistakes. See, if we are perfect parents, we wouldn't need Jesus and his grace. And as Paul Tripp says, and I paraphrase, we are people in need of grace, helping others who are in need of grace. We are people in need of grace, helping others who are in need of grace. What, what we need when we fail is to repent and turn to Jesus for his forgiveness. We plead and rely on the Holy Spirit to change and persevere in parenting in his ways. And we pray that God will honour our prayers and will grant us that in his grace so that we may parent our children to have a change of heart, to love him with all our heart, with all their soul and with all their might. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word that guides us in how we should parent. But we also come humbly before you and recognize our failures, our sin, and our idolatries in our parenting. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus we can be forgiven. But more than that, we, we have your Holy Spirit who can change us and strengthen us to teach, instruct, discipline, and model godliness to our children. And in your grace, we pray that you may use us as your humble servants to our children for their salvation and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.